as the lights come up, if you would open your Bible to Hebrews, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 3. We made that joke at my house while I was making coffee this week already. We were, we were reading through Hebrews. Hopefully in your reading time, you've been uh, enjoying this week. Uh, Hebrews is a very interesting book of the Bible um, because if there's ever a book in Scripture that helps you see backwards, Hebrews is one of those pictures where we see something. Matthew follows it similarly in, in looking back to the Old Testament. But, but I, I thought I would explain it to you like this. This is a, a drawstring backpack. I um, only have drawstrings on two things in my house. One is a backpack, the other is my sweatpants, and I didn't think you needed that visual this morning. But, but on a drawstring, the, the whole point of a drawstring is to bring all of the pieces close together. That, that's the whole point. The, the, the idea of a drawstring is to bring all the pieces that are normally stretched out and further apart, right? When it comes together, it brings them in tight, and it shows you kind of the, the purpose of, of the, the circle, the ring. And, and when I thought about that, I thought, that, that's Hebrews. It's amazing how God gives us his, his word in Hebrews, and it looks back to the Old Testament, to different parts of the Old Testament, and it just sucks it all in and there's not a god of the old testament and a god of the new testament that would that would imply that either a we believe that there are multiple gods which is uh her heresy or or b that we believe that god was not the same yesterday today and forever that he's different today than he was back in and that that would be just as wrong that the god of the old testament is the god of the new testament the god who who was there in the beginning who created the world is the same God that, that is here today and that will be here at the end of the, of the ages. That there's this, this uniqueness and consistency to God that is way beyond our own consistency. And what I mean by that is, as men and women, we understand that when we were a child, as Paul said, I, I thought and acted like a child, but, but the older I get, my processes change. Things change. Well, God is not that way. In our beginning, God was God just like He is today. Before anything was, the same God that is, was there. When, when time ends on this earth and we have a new home with the Lord, He will be the same. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 3, to me, that was what jumped out of Scripture, was this consistency of God in His Word. And so as we look through that, we're going to look at how you and I were made for a future. And we're going to do that in an interesting way by looking back. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Not, not in verse 1. We'll come back to verse 1 a little bit. But Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Read with me in your Bible down to verse 11 as we look in God's Word. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. There I was provoked with that generation, and, and they said, they will all, I said, they will always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, now here's this, this picture. If we read this passage on its own, 
in my Bible, it's formatted differently to show me that it's a quotation, but, but quite honestly, most places it's not written that way. We start to say, Lord, what are you talking about that you and I, if we want to hear your voice, we don't harden our hearts and like the people in the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. Is that the wilderness we're talking about? You know, have you ever had this, this conversation with your family where everything is an inside joke? Have you had that? Or, or do you have some, some people that you make nicknames up for, so to speak? Not derogatory, but just, you know, they're coming over. And, and your whole family knows who they are. And your guest is like, oh, they are. You know, whatever it is, this kind of inside language. Well, in this passage, if we look at it like it is, it's just inside language. It looks like a piece of, 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 of clothing that, that doesn't make sense with the rest of it. What does God not want us to harden our hearts like? What is a hard heart? What's the context for it? So what we're going to do is I want to look back and find its point of reference with you. Look in your Bible to Psalm chapter 95. All right, Psalms chapter 95. We're going to find the context where this verse come from. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why we're doing this as we step back, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Psalm chapter 95 is not a long psalm, it's 11 verses, but if you look in verse 7 of Psalm 95, about halfway through verse 7, it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, on the day of Massa, when the wilderness, at, that, at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, that they who had seen my work for 40 years, I loathe that generation, that they are people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The psalmist here is pointing the people of God to an earlier time still. Now, this is important because Hebrews, God points us back to a later date in Psalms. And Psalms, when we find this reference, it points us back further again. So let's take one more step backwards. If you want to jump there with me, you can. It's in Exodus chapter 17 is where we'll be. Because now we'll know the situation. We'll know the context. And then we're going to start here and bring it all the way back to Hebrews again. Now here's the context of what God is referencing in Psalm chapter 95. Listen to me and read in your Bible Exodus 17, verse 1, all the way through verse 7. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, taking to you some of the elders of Israel, taking you the hand of the staff that you struck the Nile with, and go. Behold, I will stand before you, on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
you have this instance it's, it's actually we, we see it almost repeated in another location when the people are coming to god and saying lord we we have come out of egypt because of you you promised us something better and so we came out but immediately your promise wasn't so wonderful it led us to the desert and the desert has been hard and difficult and God took them all the way to the promised land and said, go check out the promised land and see if it is not good. See if it is not what I have told you it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey. Go and see, bring back some of the fruits of the ground so the people can see how good it is. And so the spies went in and they came out and they said, it's exactly like the Lord promised. It's so good. But there are people there that are too many for us. And so we can't overcome it. And so after they told Moses that report, they went to the people and they said, the land is bad. The land is not good. Our death will be found there. And so God says to the people, fine, if, if you believe that my promise was, is bad, then you cannot have it. You, you can't have my promise. You can't have my rest. Well, the people in that moment got afraid. And Scripture says that they said, no, we'll go take it by force. And Moses says, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you were unwilling to take the promise with God going before you, how in the world do you think you can take the promise without God? You cannot obtain in your own strength the promises of God. The people disagreed, and they went into battle in the promised land, and they were defeated. And so God led them back into the desert. He would not give them their promise. And so here they are in the wilderness. And they're looking at Moses and they're looking at God and saying, Our road has been hard. We had it better when we were slaves. We, we had it better in Egypt. What we were rescued from is better than where you have led us. And as their complaint cries out, it's not against Moses. It's really against God. They're saying, God, you let us down. God, you gave us this promise of freedom, but your freedom tastes like suffering. It's been suffering since we left. And, and their heart became hard against the Lord. Because they rejected his promise with his leadership. They tried to obtain his promise in a modified belief and failed and now find themselves exactly where faithless life leads you into the desert. So this is the context. Now what's funny is Hebrews chapter 3 is a psalm about victory. I mean, is a, is a word about victory. If you look to Psalm chapter 95, the purpose is victory again. Go, go back to Psalm 95. Look, look in there with me. See, this is the key. This is important. Because what, what the reference is, is God did amazing works. He did amazing things with these people. He was consistent. He was faithful in saying, follow me, and I will take you to a land of promise. And he took them there, and they said, it's too hard. I reject it. And God says, this cannot be your heart. Psalm 95 gives us the, the context of this. Don't do this. Don't harden your heart. But look how it begins in verse 1 through 6. 
says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. He is a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the, make, the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do you see what the Lord is inspiring the psalmist to write? What he's saying is this. When you and I follow after the Lord. It is a walk of rejoicing. When you and I run after the Lord, we aren't living for the moment. We're living for forever. We're so smitten by that. This is what the psalmist says. Don't let your heart be hardened. I was having this conversation. Christy and I were talking, um, I don't know, maybe Friday about this. I've been married 21 years, and, and literally we're sitting at the table, and we're just talking about what's going on in the world and our families and all that kind of thing. And, and, and I said, you know, 21 years in, I think our marriage is the strongest now that it has ever been. I, I, I am enjoying marriage more right now than I think even at the beginning. And she said, Let me tell you something about this. Marriage is not eternity. It's not even close. But but early on in marriage, I left singleness with a right? Did y'all do that? If you didn't, let's talk later. You should have. I was so excited to be one with my wife. It was outstanding. The youthful joy of marriage is just coming over me and then we made it through our first year was great I, I, maybe at the first year is the hardest that was ours is a weird marriage the first year I was just so captivated by this woman and this life and wow and let me tell you through our life our marriage didn't go like this. It, I can't tell you that year five was better than year four, and year seven was better than year two, or year 12 was better. Because quite honestly, I will tell you, about hmm, 10 years into marriage, 12 years into marriage, we had the worst year of our life. It was horrible. It was suffering for both of us. It was so hard. But we weren't living to survive the year. We were living in this covenant promise. And I'm telling you, 21 years later, through the, the deserts and through the victories, if our march, if our song would have been hardened by God, this is not what you promised. You gave me this woman. That was what Adam said. I understand it. If, if my heart would have been hardened that, then I would not have entered into this moment that I'm in. I'm not in his rest, but I'm tasting his promise in my marriage. You see, 
What Psalm 95 says is so much better than the story I just told. What Psalm 95 says is, hey, listen, let's sing the Lord, make a joyful noise, come into his presence. You're able with thanksgiving. Lift up your, your voice, make a joyful noise. He's great, he's good, he's incredible. He made it all, let's kneel before our maker. He says, don't miss it. Don't, don't miss his promise and his rest and his life. Because you have found yourself in a desert. Maybe you've tried to modify the promise of God. Maybe you tried to take the promise, like following God, but on your terms. He says, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. Where joy is found, where life is found, where peace is found, is in the footsteps of the Lord, and you're living through Him. This is where you're going. This is where life is found. Now catch this. Come all the way back to Hebrews, because now it's going to get really good. Here's what I want you to see. In Hebrews, this urgency is laid down for us. Look at verse 1 through verse 6. The writer says, Therefore, holy brothers, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to these things, that were spoken to be spoken later, but Christ is God is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confession and our boasting of hope. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This church, holy brothers and sisters. You see, here's the reality: I'm I, we're all living on face value. If you tell me you claim Christ, then I'm going to encourage you that way. But Paul says, listen, if you're a holy brother or sister, don't let your heart be hardened. Because maybe your heart's been deceiving you. Who knows? He says, but here's how you do it. You consider Jesus. Jesus is better than the 21st year of your marriage. Jesus is better than the promised land. Jesus is so much more than a land flowing with milk and honey. He is not the house of God. He is the, the builder of the house. He's the overseer of the house. He's the architect. Consider Jesus when you are living out your faith. And you are tempted. Consider Jesus. You see, when we live our life in faith and we don't consider Jesus, we're exactly like the people in the desert. Because it's, it's like living and saying, God, I love you on my terms. I'm going to redefine you on my terms. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tweak it. See, that's called considering me. We're amazing at that, aren't we? Aren't you really good at considering you? 
right? Here's the test. Are you ready for it? If you took a picture today and you pulled it out, you had to decide, do I need to take another picture? Who did you look at first in your picture? You, right? That's, that's kind of how it is. The whole family could have looked great, but if your eyes are closed, guess what you're saying? Consider me. We're taking this over again. Like, Mom, you know how hard it was to get all of these children to smile simultaneously? You know what? The world will overlook that. Consider me. Right? We, we just, we, we're so good at considering me. In fact, if we're really morally stoned, we're really good at considering others. But what Christ calls us to is so much better. He says, I'm calling you to this promise. So consider Jesus. He's the great high priest. Consider Jesus. He's the one through whom the world was spoken to his existence. Consider Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has gone to prepare a place for you, the one who has made your life full and has it fuller yet to be. Consider Jesus, church. You see, if you look in verse 7 through 11, the whole point is don't harden your hearts like those who stop considering the Lord as primary in their life. Don't do it. Because you will not enter his rest. You won't, you won't find your way there. See, the writer doesn't know everyone who will receive it, but if you claim Christ, you maybe are seeing the green of your relationship, but there's not been any fruit yet. The writer is saying, fertilize that so that you consider what Jesus wants for you. Consider his life planned for you. Not just now, but for eternity. How good and sweet it is. So in verse 12, he gives us this line of thinking that Jesus is so good, he's so valuable that you and I should take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God church this evil unbelieving heart what does it look like I, I've told you many times my, my favorite book of all time outside of scripture is the Pilgrim's Progress and so I read it again Monday afternoon into Tuesday morning and just just drenching myself with it. And on the Pilgrim's Progress, there are all these different temptations. And one I was telling a friend about this morning was the town uh, of morality. It, morality looks a lot like the celestial kingdom, but its foundation is poor and leads to hell. Legalism, the town of legalism, will bury you in your checklists. You see, an unbelieving heart doesn't all the time have to be obvious like the face of our enemy. Often an unbelieving heart means I don't take the whole of the promise from you. I don't take it. I'm not going to take it on your terms. I'm just going to tweak it just a little bit. I'm just going to change it just a little bit. I'm just, I'm just need to modify it just a hair. In fact, I need to pick and choose. 
an unbelieving heart just says, you know what, the promised land on your terms doesn't work for me. That doesn't mean the promised land doesn't work. It's just the Lord that, that now fear driving me into the promised land is better than you going before me. So now I'm going to take it. This was the thought of the Israelites. Just, just tweaking a hair. The plan and the purpose of God. And they faced and tasted defeat. Church, what Scripture shows you and I, what it warns us against, is having a heart that over time is hardened by unbelief. It's the heart that says, I used to go to church, but X happened and Y happened and Z happened and, and, and now it's just not for me. I still know Jesus. It, it, it's the heart that says, Jesus, I love you. God is love. Therefore, his grace is great enough that I can do all in my heart's desire because he made me who I am. There are things that harden our heart that smell like scripture, that, that similarly resound like the voice of Christ. But all they are is small steps of unbelief that cause us to leave his side church this word was written to brothers saying listen consider Jesus in walking in Christ we don't live our faith out in fear but we should live it out joyfully bearing fruit entering his courts with thanksgiving and praise not looking for Christ as one who interferes with who we would like to be or not looking at a modified Christ who is nothing at all like the real Jesus he says do not harden your heart and let it keep you to fall away and, and then this is what it says church verse 13 it says but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In church, I want you to know, this is the picture of fellowship. I'm going to step down. I think the lights got dark on me a little. It's a picture of fellowship. It's this picture of You see, what Scripture says is for you and I to walk with Jesus, for you and I to cling to Jesus, for you and I to move with Jesus, then what's important is that you and I are the church together. The church is not an option. I'm not talking about a facility. I'm talking about the people of God. You and I are a necessity to one another. We don't use the word exhort very often, but the word means implore. It means that you and I should be around one another, imploring one another to believe. We shouldn't be around one another, consoling each other in our sin, saying, you know what, we're all broken too. Listen, you don't need to tell me we're all broken. The world can give me that handle. The world can call out that cry. But what you need to remind me is that we have a Christ who has made me whole already and has a bright future before me. That is Jesus. 
And we must implore one another. The only way to follow him is in his footsteps. To believe, not to leave the path, not to divert or distort his word. You see, church is not what you and I do in here for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. That is not church. That's a worship service. Church is who we are together, following after the footsteps of our Lord, following Jesus. That's church. And it says we exist for one another to implore each other every day to believe. Listen. We can't be obedient Christians. If this is all you've got, you can't be an obedient Christian. Who's imploring you every day towards belief? Who are you imploring every day towards belief? When, When marriages are in the valley of the shadow of death and diversion seems like a way to a temporary life, who is imploring you? When, when children are making poor decisions or, or life is falling in on you and the uncertainties outweigh the certainties, who is imploring you not to try to take the promise with your own hand? Who is imploring you to believe? Church, this is who we are called to be, not in the context of some Sunday morning organization. It's who we were called to be from the beginning. From the start, God's people encouraging one another. From the start, God's people saying, consider the Lord, consider His plan. We may be standing in the dirt, but I am looking at the river. We may be wanting for help, but our help is at hand. Consider Jesus. Let go of those things that you have allowed into your life to make your faith and your sinful heart reconcilable. That is unbelief that will lead you away from the Lord. Consider Jesus. Verse 15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt and led by Moses, with whom he promised or he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Church, the reality is so clear. A belief that is not Jesus and only Jesus is unbelief. And rejecting his lead is just what the people did in the desert. They had all the signs, they had all the wonders, and they still missed it. What the Lord wants you to know today is don't miss it. Consider Jesus so that you can live your life entering his courts with praise, rejoicing in the Lord, singing his banner, knowing he is faithful. 
Where in your life is unbelief tempting you? Where in your life is, is disbelief causing you to take God's word and modify it to your life? Listen, more than ease in this world, a mark of Christ is that his people suffer in terms of how the world calls suffering and how the world calls wonderful. But even in a world of suffering, the mark of Christ is thanksgiving and joy. It's how the poorest marriage can have the richest love because all you have is one another. That's what life in Christ is. Regardless of a beautiful day or rock bottom desert. When you and I consider Jesus and we implore one another to consider Jesus, that's where hope resides. That's the faith that we proclaim. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, Lord, this moment, this moment, let you captivate us. Lord, I know there are men and women in this room that, that are giving you 10,000 excuses, 10,000 reasons why their unbelief is warranted. Lord, would you in your spirit prick their heart now and would you surround them with your bride who will implore them towards belief, who will journey with them in the desert, who will celebrate in the river, who will taste the delights of your promise. Lord, let us be a church who is not a worship service group of encouraging faces that we are the body of Christ who day after day so are smitten by you that we want everyone to be there 